0: for a moment, we'll get into some, some word here momentarily uh, I, I do want to say a great big welcome to all of our Urshan College students that have been coming and being a part of our services and uh, I know we'll see new faces uh, here for the next uh, school year, we are blessed here in the state of Missouri uh, we've had a our one of our uh, Started out as a Bible college, if you will, a seminary. It was uh, in in Florissant or yeah, Florissant, Missouri. It was first called Gateway, and that's where I got my went to school, got my degree there. And then later on, they changed the name to Urshan College. They also added a graduate school, Urshan Graduate School. And here, this is the very first year, the very first semester that school has has moved, and now. The Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School is right here at the kind of where uh, Highway 40 and Highway 70 come together at the old Century Tail campus there, and they are uh, doing a great job. I think there's still a lot that they need to do. In fact, I hear some of you guys, y'all are at a hotel right now, and uh, I think they'll get your, your dorms all fixed up here, but we're glad that y'all are here, and we want to say welcome to the lighthouse, and if we can help you do anything, just let us know. My wife disappeared. So someone please tell her, uh, cause, uh, but but today I found out was Wife Appreciation Day, and um, I thought that was Valentine's Day, but whatever. So we now have another day that we appreciate our wives, and so I'm going on record. I think Brother Matt's back there videoing, and so it can go out for all of prosperity's uh, sake or something like that, meaning it gets, stays forever. Not, it might be prosperous for me if I say that as well, but uh, I do appreciate my wife, and if you're sitting next to your wife, why don't you lean over and tell her you appreciate her? It might help your day go better. Um, thank you. I, I didn't do the announcements, but uh, Brother... Randall did a great job. But thank you all for that incredible Give to Grow. For those of you who may not know, our Give to Grow, that's what we call our building fund. And we're looking at purchasing land because we are flat out of room here at the Lighthouse. And uh, so we've been working diligently on that. We have to get all sorts of evaluations done. And so we've been working on that all this summer. But man, what an incredible uh, giving this church has, has done. You ever woke up one day... And there's a song you can't get out of your head No matter how hard you try It's bad is when it's not a godly song It's not a Christian song, you know It's just stuck So, since I couldn't get it out of my head I'm going to just preach it to you I was going to sing it And then I began to realize that I probably ought not sing that song It's actually a really bad song but it's an old classic what's love got to do with it and to be honest if you go read the lyrics of the song it's a horrible song have you ever done that have you ever listened to a song man that's an awesome song and you're not paying attention you got a good beat or whatever and then you realize later the message of the song was absolutely awful the message of the song i think it was was it Tina Turner or Diana Ross one of those sung it or made it famous but uh, you know, she sings Oh, by the way, Sister Buford, I appreciate you. Today is wife appreciation day, and I want you to know how much I love and appreciate you. You are awesome, you're the love of my life, you're what keeps me going. You're the wind beneath my wings. See, all these songs are kind of in my mind. Once you start going down that rabbit trail, you it's a long time to go. But it's a horrible song. I mean, our, our young people and, and youth are downstairs in Sunday school, or our kids are in Sunday school, so I'm be a little blunt, but basically it's about you can go have sex with whoever you want to have sex with and you don't have to love them. That's what the whole song is. What's love got to do with it? You can Google the word love. Now, now honestly, I, this illustration is a little bit older, so I'm sure the number of websites has drastically increased since I last did this, but if you Google the word love, you'll find over a trillion websites concerning love be very careful not every one of them are appropriate there's ilovedogs.com, ilovecats.com that's dumb Um, ilovecheese.com ilovelucy.com there's lovetest, there's matchmaker.com, there's dating services, there's even a love calculator, you can go to lovecalculator.com and all you have to do is put your name and your significant other's name I did that with my wife and I's name and we have a 16% chance of making it. I put my mom and dad's name in there, they have an 85% chance of making it. I'm like, seriously? But whatever. We've given it a good run, 18 years. But you know, the, the, the thing about love, and here, here, here's, here's the key, and this is not a, a, a romantic message. I'm not here to preach my Valentine's Day, uh, you, you know, little candy stick message, but I would like to tell you today that the writer of that song got it completely wrong, and in fact, what's love got to do with it? Everything. 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 Without it, you have nothing. Let's go to First John chapter 4 in verse 7. Today, I'm going to do a lot more teaching than I do preaching. We, we have moments at our church where I'll rear back and preach and I'm looking for a response at an altar. I, I'm looking for someone to repent of their sins. I'm looking for someone to, to lift up their hands and be filled with the Holy Ghost. By the way, if you could have been there at men's conference uh, when Brother uh, 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 Steve got the Holy Ghost, it was pretty awesome. You mind me telling him what I told you? But Steve, he, he he thinks pretty hard. and And he's told me, he said, I just... He said, if God's going to give me the Holy Ghost, he's just going to give it. Why do I have to work for it? And so uh, Friday night, he was praying, and God was all over that place. And I was standing back. I couldn't get to where he was. I was kind of standing on a little part of a speaker, so I was a little bit higher than I normally am. And I prayed this prayer. I said, God, would you please get past Steve's mind? I said, would you just knock him flat off his feet And he didn't do it, but he almost did. And I watched that moment when Steve lifted up his hands and began to worship God. God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I watched that smile, that bubble. He still hasn't stopped smiling. I'm thankful for what God is doing. Lord willing, tonight we're going to baptize someone in Jesus' name. And and we're going to see those waters troubled. There are moments in which I preach and I am looking for a response within the service. Today as I end my sermon, which I'm not ending it yet, but when I get to the end, don't come up yet, when I get to the end, I'm not so much interested in how full the altars are this morning as I will be what you do with what the Word of God says. Now come back tonight. Tonight, I believe God is going to minister in a mighty way. I'll give you my title tonight, and if God doesn't change it, which I sure hope He don't, because... I need to preach what he's given me, and I'm kind of running out of time if he changes it. But I'm going to preach tonight an answer for your despair. An answer for your despair. We're living in a world where depression reigns supreme. And I want God to minister tonight, so come back tonight. But this morning, I want to preach what does love got to do with it. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone that does not love does not know God because God is love. In, the love of, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. For this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us... And if I could interject, and I'm not trying to add to the Bible, but if I could just interject, if God has loved us like this, then we also ought to love one another like that. No one has ever seen God... If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 12, and I'm not spending a lot of time on here, but verse 12 teaches this. Though we cannot see God, when we see that love one another, you are seeing the manifestation of God in us. First Corinthians chapter 13, and that's where I'm going to invite you to turn uh, in the next little bit, and, and we're going to walk through that whole chapter, so just keep your Bible open, keep it in front of you. But First Corinthians 13 most likely, probably, is one of the most misinterpreted scriptures of all the Bible. It's way, way, way more than just a Valentine's sermon. It's more than just a wedding Bible reading, if you will. It's more than just what you say to a marriage conference to fully understand the chapter. And you know me, let me say it again in case there's anybody here. Let me help you out. Those of you that are from Urshan, I'm going to give you a free hermeneutical theological uh, lesson. Are you Ready? You cannot take one verse out of the Bible and, and and hang everything on that one verse. You need to know what it said in front of it. You need to know what it says behind it. And, and when you read, here's Paul. Paul, the First Corinthians, it's a letter. It's a letter to one of the churches that Paul would visit. And it's a way that he would minister to the church when he was not able to be there. They didn't have email. They didn't have simulcast. They couldn't put it up on the screen. He'd write a letter. They would read it. But the, he, he writes this letter. This letter, it's beautiful about love. Right smack dab and Paul yelling at them for everything they were doing wrong in their church. He, he, he To understand the chapter of love, you've got to read it in the context of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And, and one of the commentators that I love to read, Warren Wiersbe, says this, and I quote, Many people fail to see that Paul was still dealing with the Corinthians' problems when he wrote these words about love. He was still talking about the abuse of the gift of tongues, the division in the church, the envying of others' gifts, the selfishness. In 1 Corinthians, they were suing each other in the church. They were impatient with one another. They were interrupting the church services. It was behavior that was disgracing the Lord. And after Paul has dealt with some of that, all of a sudden he kind of stops and he says, you know what? I'll fix this once and for all. Love. Why do you need love? Well, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, as even to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I am nothing. Gain nothing love has everything to do with everything we are and everything we want to accomplish in the kingdom of God love enriches everything here in these first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Paul mentions five spiritual gifts that must be active in the church The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, or word of knowledge, the gift of faith, of giving and sacrifice. And those are absolutely necessary in an apostolic church. But if you don't have love, those gifts, and even the exercising of those gifts, is nothing. You know what makes the gift of prophecy powerful? Love. You know what makes a word of knowledge powerful? Love, Love, or or, or, or let me back this up. Let me quote again from a commentary. Ministry without love cheapens the minister and those touched by the ministry. But when your ministry is with love, it enriches the whole church. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much wisdom it is when you speak. You could utter the most incredible mysteries that wow the masses, but you might as well honk your horn in bumper-to-bumper traffic, and that's about as effective as you'll ever be if you don't have love. I can heal everybody in this city. I could walk into St. Joe's West and walk into every room, lay my hands on them, and they all get up and walk out, but if I don't have love in my heart, it does no good. Because love enriches all that we are. You can even be the most humblest person in the world and give up your life for the faith not flowing in the love of Jesus Christ then you just died for nothing. You can give every money, all the money you have. You can be a Mother Teresa. You can go live in a a, a hermitage and, 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 and give up all your possessions but if you don't have love you have nothing. I love symbols. my mom hated them because I can make a symbol out of everything pots and pans you can bang them it's so much fun I would get them all out I'd get all our man I'd beat them to death whatever it is I can do it but you know what if, if I go to my wife and I want to tell her how awesome she is and how wonderful she is but if I don't have love I can tell her all I want and it's never going to make any more sense people witnessed before. I'm glad y'all are here. I know Danielle's glad you're here too. I could try to quote all the Bible to you and tell you all about Acts 2.38 and I could witness, but if I don't have love, you're never going to get anything about it. And all too often in our lives, we walk around as obnoxious as this is. And we wonder why nobody's coming. We wonder why nobody's getting it. We wonder why nobody's paying attention. It's because if you don't have love, you have nothing. Some of you are wondering, why is my family not connecting? Because if you don't have the love of Christ, then it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you go to. It doesn't matter how much money you spend. Love is everything. of God whosoever does not love does not know God again I quote from the commentary everything you strive for everything you want to be who you want to be what you want to do how you want people to think of you what you want to accomplish everything must go through the filter am I loving like Christ by the way let me help you out You cannot find that love in worldly philosophy. You can't find that love in philanthropy or whatever that word is where you give your money away. Bill Gates can give all of his millions and billions and trillions away, but that does not mean he has love. You can try to have religious piety, but that doesn't make it any different. Only the person who can legitimately lift up their hands and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord of all. Only you then can exhibit this kind of love. It enriches everything That's why we need love But what is love? First off, love is edifying Love is something that helps go. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast It's not arrogant or rude It does not insist on its own way It's not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures in all things. Remember, this, this, this sermon was birthed out of things that were happening in the Corinthian church. And, and by the way, can I just I, I gotta I gotta stop. The, what happens in the Corinthian church. You got to first understand it happened in the Corinthian church. They were messing up. Look at your neighbor and say, The Corinthian church messed up. And so, because Paul had to go in the Corinthian church and fix some things, doesn't mean that everything they were doing should be thrown out. All right? There's a lot of people that says because of what Paul said in Corinthians, we ought not have the the gift of tongues operating in our church. No, that's stupid. We need the gift of tongues operating in our church. We need the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church, but we need them operating in the church in love. I forget where I was, and maybe guys, some of you are at men's conference, it might have been at men's conference, but but somewhere. No, no, it was that we were just at a pastors retreat, and we were talking, and 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 at the pastors retreat. They, they were talking about the weirdest tongues interpretation you've ever heard you know, we're just sitting around. Said they went to a church One one pastor was at a church And they were fighting in the church Like Hatfield and McCoys Somebody And I might be paraphrasing this a little bit But it was about this stupid Somebody on the Hatfield side Begins to speak in tongues Somebody on the McCoy side began to to give the interpretation And said thus saith the Lord Shut up and sit down that's not love by the way but we we must have those gifts operating but we can't have it when it's covered up by the gong of unlove and the cacophony of unlove the the corinthians they were impatient in those public meetings they envied each other they were puffed up with pride they wanted to promote themselves they they were you know they would have the 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 uh, they, they took literally, the, the, the early church took literally uh, the commandment of God that said as often as you do this, talking about communion, as often as you do this, uh, remember him. And so they, they would do communion basically every time they ate because they always had the the fruit of the vine, they always had bread, and so it didn't matter if it was at their own home, it didn't matter if they were out to eat with friends, they would always remember that before they they drank of the vine, uh, before they they, they took the wine or before they ate the bread, they would take a moment, remember, and so it was good. Well, they wanted to do it in church, but what happened is you begin to have these problems where some people who were rich, they would come to communion and they'd bring a four-course meal. They'd have fancy bread and fancy wine, and they'd have it all. And here's somebody poor that that can't hardly bring any food, and they wouldn't share. And there was a lot of problems going on. Paul said, "Let me help you out. This is what love is: be kind." Ephesians chapter four and verse thirty-two: "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ, as God in Christ, forgave you." It's interesting as you begin to. To look at at what love does. It's patient. It's kind. Doesn't envy or boast, not arrogant or rude. Doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable, resentful. Doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices in hope, in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. What you find there is there's eight things that love is, and eight things that love is not. The things that love is: patient, kind. Rejoices in truth, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, and never fails. What love is not, it's not envy, it's not boasting, it's not pride, it's not rudeness, it's not self-seeking, it's not anger, it doesn't hold grudges, and it doesn't delight in evil. So if you'll give me a moment to pull from some teaching from a man by the name of Tom Fuller, he says you could form love around four basic concepts. First, how you deal with others. It's patient, it's kind, it protects, it's not rude, it's not angry, it doesn't hold grudges. It's how you deal with life. It's patient, it hopes, it trusts, it perseveres, it never fails. This seems weird, but it's true. It's how you deal with yourself. You need to love yourself, by the way. Some of you, if you treated others the way you treat yourself, God would have something to say about it. It never fails, it's patient, it's kind, it, it doesn't envy, it doesn't have pride, it's not self-seeking, it's not boasting. And the fourth one is your relationship to God. It hopes, it perseveres, rejoices in truth, it's not prideful, it's not self-seeking, it doesn't delight in evil. And so I want to take a few moments and look at all of those and break it down so that you have an understanding what is love. We're going to have a wedding here in the end of this week. Darren and Tracy, and hopefully you've kind of figured some of this out by now. If not, I'll be in my office for marriage counseling. Some of you that are in relationships, you need to understand that love is not the number of flowers you bring your, your, your significant other. Some of you parents need to understand that love is not necessarily, you know, the gifts you give your kids or or just saying a kind word here and there. But love is patient. Patient it comes from two Greek words, long and tempered. Vine's Expository Dictionary says that patience is self-restraint in the face of provocation. It's the opposite of anger. And so maybe if I could help you out, if you want to do one of those self-check-off lists to see if you're loving or not loving, well first let me ask you this. Do you have a short fuse? Do you get easily frustrated when things don't go your way or when it doesn't happen enough? Someone hurts you, but you retaliate easily and quickly against those that hurt you. That's the opposite of love. I'm not preaching anything today because of something's happened in the church. Please don't anybody be thinking that. But I just know how we are as people. How easy it is for us to not be patient, to have that short fuse. To be patient means you wait out the trouble. You don't strike out in, against adversity. I like how Peter describes it, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And so if you've been hurt in your life, if there's something that causes you to want to lash out, let me help you out. Just wait under God's hand. Just wait. Aren't you thankful God doesn't lash out at us? This is probably absolutely you know, I'm probably not going to go to heaven for thinking like this but have you ever wondered what would happen if you were God if I was God there would be a lot less people living on the earth today the dude that honks at me and gives me that one fingered salute pow he'd just explode in a cloud of dust in his car, it'd be awesome driving down the highway, you know how we get these major snowstorms of like a half an inch of slush and everybody can't drive and they're going crazy and you're trying to drive in your lane and you're white knuckling the, the, the thing, you're trying to be safe and that dude in that jacked up truck comes flying by you at 90 miles an hour and if you're like me in my mind I'm like man I hope you spin out when I get up there and God pops me in the back of the head and says love is patient When somebody rubs you the wrong way, when someone hurts you, he leans down and he whispers in your ear and he says, God is love. Love as I've loved you. While you and I were yet enemies in the face of God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I hear him saying every day of my life, Brandon, if you want to be like me, you must love like me and be patient. That's love. To be kind. Now, I don't know what you think kind means. But the Greek word that is used here in in this, it means to show oneself useful. So if we were to take patience one step further, it means not only are you long-tempered when trouble comes, but you might actually reach out with a benefit to someone else. In fact, part of the root word of the word that we call employed comes from the word in the Greek that means kind. Kind is not a smile that's not sincere. That's not kind. Kind is not how you say your words so it doesn't sound bad. Y'all may not know this, but I was raised in the South, and people can say kind words in a really mean way without you knowing it. Bless your heart. In the North, it would be you're an idiot. kind. In fact, let me show you what Paul says over and over in his letter 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 33 he says, I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of so many others that they might be saved. Kindness has this attitude. It's not what's in it for me, but what can I do for you? What can I help you do? That's love. It's not just that I'm long suffering. I have a fuse. A million miles long In fact most of you ain't never seen pastor Matt some of you have but the problem is, is if I ever do get mad I can't rein it back in I have to call those special people that come in and just mop up the blood stains and clean up the splatter off the walls I mean it's that bad so it's one thing to be long-suffering it's one thing to be patient but are you kind now Paul then he strings eight negatives together and while they're negative, I think sometimes we must learn by contrast, we see what love is by carving away what love is not. And so it is that, that all of these, it's, 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 I'm missing a page in my notes. That's awesome. Ah, there they are. Ha. Whew, something wasn't making any sense. Let's try that. Here we go. Love doesn't envy It comes from the word to boil. It's it's a part of that idea of what's in it for me and it's all about me and sometimes we become so self-focused on me that when someone has anything else that we want or desire, it makes our blood boil and we don't want to benefit others. We want it for us. And so envy is when you want something for yourselves at the expense of someone else. That's not what love is. Love is... I'm glad when things work out for you. To rejoice with those who rejoice. Boasting, it's another negative. It's really a corollary to envy. If you've got it, flown it. And if you don't have it, act like you have it. The Greek word for this boasting, it it, it kind of means, it has the connotation of playing the braggart. It's boasting, playing a part. You might not be that. You might not have it, but you sure do act like it and you want people to think you're something that perhaps you're not. Love is proud, or or love is not being proud. Same word Paul uses in chapter 8 when he says knowledge puffs up. It means to inflate like a bag of hot air. No substance, but a lot of fluff. You ever seen someone that has inflated their sense of self-worth and self-importance to where they can hardly fit in their clothes anymore, it seems like. Their head's so big a hat won't even fit on. That's not what love is. Love is not rude. What is rude? Well, the word here would be translated perhaps better as unshapely. I could say it better this way a person that is rude is someone that's not real pretty to look at. And I don't mean they're ugly. But have you ever been around someone? that was unpredictable and embarrassing and unbecoming and just rude self-seeking means to worship yourself all of those were negative and if you will learn in your life to carve all of those out what you're left with is love somebody asked the sculptor uh, who, who, who sculpts out of marble and makes those incredible statues and said how do you, how do you know how to make that statue how do you, how, you know, and he goes well I just carve away everything that doesn't look like that perhaps easier said than done but if you take away envy you take boasting you take away proudness you take away rudeness you take away self-seeking you get love and then he goes back to the positive love is not easily angered that anger there is exasperated. The Greek word means to sharpen alongside. It's the, this now becomes the opposite of patience, if you will. It means I'm not easily exasperated. Or it keeps no records of wrong. I love Christmas. We're, I think, getting close to less than 100 days to Christmas. It's so awesome. If you go to Rule King, they've already got Christmas trees up. And you can walk in and you smell the, the cinnamon and the pine and, of course, it's like 95 degrees outside so it's hard to get in the Christmas spirit but I do love Christmas and you would say to oh jolly Saint Nick oh he's a loving person but according to the biblical definition of love he's not a loving person at all in fact the biblical definition of love would tell you that that Saint Nick doesn't love at all because one of the things that love does is it keeps no records of wrong the old adage he sees you when you're sleeping he knows when you're awake he keeps a list of those who's naughty or nice Some of you, and I have, kept those same lists myself. You carry a mental black book with you. Curtis looked at me. So-and-so laughed at me. So-and-so hurt me. But it says we keep no records of those that are wrong this second one that that's a very positive thing it it flows very quickly and very simply with this they love does not delight in evil now I know I can step on toes because I'm in this same book I can start going through this list and go mm, I've done that I've got to change that I so, so, again, it's not because I know of anybody that's doing it. It's just I know how it is. Sometimes we get really excited when somebody fails. And we get on the phone. Hey, did you hear so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, so-and-so, they, they messed up. The Bible says Love. First off, it it doesn't keep a list of who does wrong, and it's not happy when something happens. In fact, let me tell you that if you're happy when someone falls, if you're happy when someone gets fired, if you're happy when someone messes up, if you got one of those spirits that says, See, I told you so, that's the ultimate form of everything that love is not. Love rejoices in the truth. The word rejoice here it can be used in the same phrase. Delight in evil or rejoice in the truth. You have a choice. You can either rejoice when something bad happens to someone or you can rejoice in the truth. Here's what it means when you put it together. It means you sympathize with gladness. If you delight in evil, you're holding yourself away from them and you're saying, I'm really glad that happened. Someone gets a new car and you're still driving your 1997 Hoopty. And they come to church and they got a scratch on their car, and meanwhile, you're going, huh. They already scratched your new car, didn't they? That's not what it means. It means you're glad they're suffering and you're not. But that's not what my Bible tells me to do. My Bible says you rejoice with those that rejoice and you mourn with those that mourn. And if in the body of Christ someone's hurting, I ought to have a little hurt going on in my life too because that's what it means to love. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And those four words, while they sound completely uh, uh, like they don't connect, they absolutely do. To protect. So love always protects. Protects means to put a roof over. That love trusts, it means to put your faith in. That love hopes, it means to confide in, to preserve. It means to stay under. These are the things that God does for us. And it's the things that you and I ought to do for others. We ought to be the first. To throw a protective blanket physically and emotionally over someone else who's hurting. To be willing to put our faith and trust in someone else even if maybe in times past we, we were hurt. It means to be real. It means to confide in them. To know that God will work in their lives. To stick it out with people and not throw them away when something happens. But stick it out and celebrate when the love of God changes their life as God is changing yours. That's what love Yes. love is not a magical rose-colored glass kind of feeling. It's actually very specific. It's love, it's trust. It's seeking the best for and looking for the best in those around you. It's helping them to benefit their lives as they draw closer to God. That's love. Why does Paul put it right here in the middle of First Corinthians? Because Paul realized that most every problem we have is not a problem of 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 pride, it's not a problem of jealousy. It's first and foremost a problem of love. Because we human beings, we're a pretty selfish group. I don't care how you look in public. I don't care what you say. Deep down inside, every one of us, we are pretty selfish. We want it about us. We want it for us. It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when, when, when Adam and Eve basically with their actions says, it's all about me. I want to be like God. It's me. And so really most of our sin issues can be traced back to a lack of love. God's love is unselfish. God's love sees the good in others. God's love breeds and 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 works in the lives of others to try to help them and to benefit them. And it doesn't matter if maybe we get hurt in the process. That's love. So what is love and why do we need love and How important is love? Well, love is enduring. That's how important love is. That the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the latter part of verse 8, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully as I have been fully known. And now, the, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. There's a lot of things in life that I, I, I desire, even in the spiritual. I want the gifts of the Spirit. I want that to happen, but those things can pass away. They're not permanent gifts. eternity is permanent eternity you won't need prophecy eternity you won't need knowledge eternity you won't need tongues eternity you won't need the gifts of the spirit there's something that was was in the cosmos before the form and dawn of time and it will still be in the realm of heaven when time stops that is love see the Corinthians again I quote from commentary Corinthians were like children playing with toys that one day would disappear. They had all these cool spiritual gifts that they were learning about and they acted like they would they would forever play with them. Somebody put it's one of those deep things that makes you think and it's actually kind of depressing when you think about it. And someone said, did you know that there was one day you put down your toys and you never picked them up again?" But you can think about that and I'm like, man I miss my Legos. One day we'll put aside all the things that we think are so important. But there's one thing that won't ever change. Love. Love. And so it is today, even in our church, the most important thing we can have is love. I want faith. I want hope. I want love. All of those are going to remain, but the greatest of those is Kind of favorites of Paul, I think Paul would call them the essentials of life faith in Jesus Christ, hope that God is going to do good things in your life, and the hope of heaven. But the greatest, the driving force, love. For remember, God so loved the world that, and then you start filling in the blanks. You start putting a list like this down, and I'll be honest, I did it myself. You start putting a list like that and start measuring your life up to that. It's kind of like when you take your your, your your car in to get an oil change and they one of the things they talk about, you know, we're going to give you a 30-point inspection. And they come back and all you wanted was an oil change. But they come back and they tell you your tires need to be replaced and your belt's about to break off and your brakes are so dangerous you're going to die. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, car dealerships and car places that do that. Fraudulently. I'm talking about legitimately. I've done that. I've, I've brought my car in to, to just get an oil change. And then realize I'm driving a death trap. They come out and say, uh, Brandon, did you realize there is no brake pads on your car? I wondered why I was making that noise. But that's how I feel sometimes in this message. I I, I put myself, I, I, I will promise you, I'm I'm telling you, I will not preach this if I haven't spent time in the Bible comparing it to my life first. And that 30 point inspection of 1 Corinthians 13 I begin to realize I've got a few things i got to work on too. It's a uh, you know you some may say how, how in the world could I ever live up to that? I might as well give up but Paul said it best. He said when you became a man when you became an adult you put away childish things and one of the saddest things that I've noticed in people doesn't matter where they are is how the older we get the more childish we sometimes become. If you ask my two-year-old right now to share his toys he will look at you so befuzzled and he can't really say it but some of you have seen his eyes and what he means is you're a moron go away my toys not yours if you take the food off of his plate he gives you this look that would cut glass what are you doing? But that selfishness sometimes as we get older it comes back to life Paul says when you become an adult put away those things it's a maturing process it takes time it takes experience but the, op, the, 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 the object is to love like God's love listen to me very carefully love is not a firework display just because you got a hold of this message and today you're, tonight we ought to be the lovingest church you've ever, we've ever had but if that's where it ends that's a firework it just goes off it's done love is an action I don't want to make the mistake that the Corinthians made. In fact, I don't want to make the mistake that the Pharisees made. I don't want to make that. I want to show my love in everything I do. And while love is an attitude and while love is an action, I will tell you right now, the greatest love that you and I can ever project and give is love that the other person doesn't even realize what you're doing. It's just there. And if you're here today and I'm asking you to stand, then I promise, I, I know, I, it's not a sermon that we're going to we're gonna end around an altar. This is not a sermon where you, you know, you spend time at an altar and then everything's good. No, this is one of those that we are going to spend time praying for a moment, but it really starts when you exit the altar, you exit the prayer, and as you leave this church and as you walk out those doors, and here's the thing. James said it this way. You have not because you ask not. Jesus said it, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So I would tell you that the first thing we need to do today is ask God, Lord, let me love as you've loved. But there is the second part of James that says it's not... The asking that sometimes is the problem It's the motivation of why we ask James goes on to say You have not because you ask not But when you do ask You don't receive Because you're asking with the wrong motives So that you can spend what you get On your pleasures if you will And so tonight This morning Don't ask God for the wrong reasons You ask God unselfishly God let me love all the way you have loved